You've heard me talk about Tacovas, the company carrying on all the time-honored traditions and quality you find in a great pair of cowboy boots. Well, longtime listener Jeremy emailed me to say, Zabe, I was on a work trip to Austin, knew about Tacovas from the podcast, stopped into the store. Next thing you know, I've got a damn good pair of boots and I'm looking sharp with a nice buzz to boot. Giddy up. Tacovas believes in Western for all. And you can feel that when you stop in one of their stores and get custom fitted for a new pair of boots. If you can't make it into the store, Tacovas delivers the most premium quality and the most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T E C O V A S.com and point your toes west. And as a special opportunity for our listeners, Tacovas has said they will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps for free into any minimum purchase of $100 at Tacovas.com. Just use promo code ZABE, that's promo code Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, at checkout. It's a $30 value, and they sell out fast. Only at Tacovas.com. Today on the ZabeCast, the NBA playoffs are steaming towards a nightmare matchup on paper, but one that could be very exciting for basketball purists. Michael Block wins the hearts of the golf world, but it was Brooks Kepka who bagged his fifth big-ass trophy. Now the Ryder Cup debate is officially on and getting tense. All that plus a draft at Lambeau and a recap of my weekend in Pinehurst. Your 30-minute... Zabe Express is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! It is the wee dying minutes of Monday, May 22nd, as I record this podcast for your consumption on Tuesday, May 23rd, 2023. Thank you for giving me a day off yesterday as I am back in the saddle and going to give this my best 30 minutes with a voice that's a little bit a little bit on the fritz from my long weekend playing golf in Pinehurst and arguing and yelling and shouting to you guys hey what'd you have on four <laughs> anyway um I just finished watching the Lakers get polished off by the Nuggets and I I cannot believe what I just saw. Down to Lakers with the ball, four seconds left, inbound to LeBron. He drives. There's seemingly contact. Jamal Murray's hands are in there. And shh, can you hear it? Yeah, silence. No whistles. And it turned out to be a great non-call by the referees because Jamal Murray had a clean hand on the ball. There was no foul. And so LeBron James did not get a call at home down 3-0 with four seconds left in the game. Maybe this league is turning around. Maybe this league is going straight. Maybe this league is under new management because the NBA I know of the last 20, 25, 30 years, oh my God, that would never happen. So the Nuggets are through as the best team in the West during the regular season. So for everyone saying, well, the regular season doesn't matter anymore, two things. One, I think Denver proved 
in the regular season. Yes, we're the best team with a healthy Jamal Murray opposite the Joker who continues to put up silly numbers. Oh, you know, 30, 14, and 13 in the game four closeout. Let's just go ahead. I just called up his game logs here just on a lark. I'm going to walk you through the last uh, five or six box scores. Here we go. Ready? Uh, Before this, game three, a bad night for him. (laughs) 24-6-8. That's a bad night. 24-6-8. Then triple-double, 23-17-12. Then triple-double, 34-21-14. Then triple-double, 32-10-12. Then triple-double, 29-13-12. Then the 53-point game in the loss to Phoenix, 53-4-11. Then triple-double, 30-17-17. Then 39-16-5. And I'll stop there, but you get the picture. He's... Jokic is breaking a lot of people's brains right now because he is so great and he's putting up such ridiculous video game numbers. But he no, he looks nothing like what the league has taught us as fans to think of as great. We've been conditioned. Oh, who's a great basketball player? Well, I know I'll know one when I see one. He's fast, he jumps high, he's flashy. He might trash talk a little bit. He's got a signature move. And well, he's not white. That's what I know for an NBA superstar to be. Jokic breaks brains because he's breaking all of what the marketing machine and the hype machine of the NBA has taught us. Also, he's not American, although he speaks perfect English and he is a great team leader. In his own sort of quiet way. Western Finals MVP. And will almost certainly, I think, well, I don't know. uh, The Heat are not through yet, but let's assume they are. And as good, as well as they have played Miami to fight through the East and about to stun Boston. I mean, at this point, Denver's going to have to be an overwhelming favorite in the finals against Miami. If that's the case. Anyhow, uh, the Heat, meanwhile, are destroying the Celtics. Uh, We watched the game down in Pinehurst uh, as a group. Not intently, but there was plenty of guys watching while we were off drinking, chipping and putting in the Wedge Lodge down there at Pine Needles. Just having a great time. And people were like, oh, man, another three. Oh, look at that dunk. It was an absolute destruction in game three. And then Jimmy Butler hit Horford with the kneel down timeout. Little callback. See, that trash talking, I've got no problem with. Some trash talking, yeah, it's bad, poorly timed, unnecessary. This to me was perfect. Oh, you did a move earlier in the series. Okay, we can do that move too. Look at this. You better get a timeout because we are running your ass out of the gym. Jimmy effing butler i was this year's old when i found out that jimmy butler had been kicked out of the house and was basically adopted by a white mother it's like the 
The same story as the blind side, only in basketball. I should have known that, or maybe I did hear that, and I forgot that. I don't know. But my point is, how many other people are hearing this for the first time? Raise your hand out there in Zabecast land. Who, for the first time, is like, wait, what? Jimmy Butler's mom, adoptive mom, is white? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, Jimmy Butler was such a hellraiser as a kid. As a, t- as a young teenager, his mom kicked him out of the house. Said, go live on the streets. Good luck. So he hung out at a friend's house. Next thing you know, uh, that friend's mom decides, well, we, we can't just let him hang out in the street. And so he had, they adopted Jimmy Butler. And he is absolutely going off for the heat. You know, Spolstra is doing a much better job than Joe Mazzula. But it's not a coach's league, right? It's still a player's league. The only caveat to the NBA not being a player's league is that a good coach or a great coach, which I think Spolstra is, even though he's never won coach of the year, which he really shouldn't worry about because this league also fires coaches of the year on a regular basis, like within two years of winning the award, sometimes one year. But Spolstra is really good, and the Heat have decided somewhere along the line, somewhere, I don't know, between now sitting on the edge of making the NBA Finals and the beginning of this journey when they were a play-in tournament team and they had lost their first of two play-in games and then they were down like 20 at one point in their second of play-in games (laughs) to this point. They decided somewhere along the way, you know what? Fuck it. We're just going to do this. Who's stopping us? Why not? Let's go. And so an NBA Finals that is Denver versus Miami, while it will certainly be a marketer's nightmare, it could be a good series. It might have its moments. I still think Denver is just too damn loaded, tough. They play the best basketball in the league by far. And they got the big guy. And they got Murray. I mean, I don't see how you're going to beat him. But I'll watch the NBA Finals. And I hope it's not a sweep. I'd like some more product out there on the table to enjoy. But it's not going to be highly rated. Because there's a lot of casual basketball fans that just tune in if it's the Lakers or LeBron. And so you've got a huge market in LA that's like, yep, that's it. We're out. Summertime. See you later. The NBA is highly relevant still. It's quite profitable still. It's very much a fabric of the culture still. It's an international game, which the NFL would love to have that element of, and they're trying to foster that, but they don't, they're not nearly what the NBA is. China's got a lot of skin in the game. Hell, they've pretty much bought half the league, if not more. The NBA just has to manage its image, its product, and its overall sort of outward-looking stance to the average sports fan. That's all. And that's that's for Adam Silver to to message and to figure out. And to, you know, the flopping is bad, obviously. LeBron at some point is gonna retire, so they're gonna have to figure out who to hang their hat on next as the face of the league. But it'll be a good NBA Finals for as long as it lasts. I'll watch it. Probably won't get a very good rating.
Speaking of the notion of, well, why not? Who's stopping me? That is what Joe, or that is what the uh, golf ball of one Michael Block says. It says, why not? In big, stupid letters. (laughs) Most pros mark their golf ball with just a tiny little dot or maybe a little logo or just something. Which, by the way, for those that are wondering, why do they have to mark their golf ball? Well, they do it so that, you know, in theory, they're playing a golf ball that is stamped with a typical stamping by a ball maker, like, say, Titleist. Titleist come in numbers one, two, three, and four in a dozen. Sleeve of one, sleeve of two, sleeve of three, sleeve of fours. Really? We, we know how golf balls work. You don't have to. Well, some people may not know. The pros can order their I mean. I ordered some custom balls like any hack amateur. Ooh, I want some custom Titleists. Ooh, it's so great. Look at this. Got my own special number, my own special logo on it. That said, pros mark their golf ball just so they are certain they can say, I had a Titleist 2 and had a green dot right here over the number. Okay, that's mine. Well, this guy, Michael Block, writes, why not on his golf ball in big, ugly Letters like, oh, I would hate to look at that. The the neat and tiny anal retentive, anal retentive, anal, it's late, anal retentive tendencies of myself would abhor such a thing. But the story of the week was Michael Block and Brooks Kepka. I mean, they're side by side. They're, they're one, you know, they're, they're equal. I know you're saying, how can you not give Kepka top billing on this? I'll get to Kepka in a second. Oh, by the way. But this is the highest finish a club pro guy has ever finished in this championship. Many have been critical of the PGA of America for allowing in as many of these guys as they do. I think it's 20. It might have been reduced recently to 15. But of those 15 guys who are out there busy giving lessons and running golf shops, as good as they are, and they're really good. They're former college stars sometimes. Uh, they are guys who play, who've played in many tours, tried to make it on the big tour, and they're like, well, I guess I got to go be a, a golf pro to call at a course somewhere. These guys are still unbelievable players, but when they're put on the biggest stage, when the toughest courses with other regular touring pros, they suck. It's usually a big story if one or maybe two of them make the cut. And yet Michael Block from Orange County, California was the story of the weekend because of how well he was playing, how much the crowds embraced him. And of course the hole in one, which we'll get to in a second. Michael Block's life is not going to change. I don't think in any material way, one, two hundred and, in prize money for finishing 15th, which is great. However, (laughs) he lives in California, high taxes, cha-ching, and he won the event in New York, high taxes, cha-ching. He might be allowed to keep $43,692. Then he's got to pay for everything else. That money's not going to change his life, even though it's a lot of money. Any money he makes from these sponsors, invites, more on that in a second, will also not change his life because he's going to have some decent finishes, I'm sure. And for a while, these tournaments 
sponsors and tournament organizers are going to be like, hey, come play in our event. And now the guy you remember who was just a teaching professional playing out of Orange County, Michael Block. And, you know, after five or six of these events and him finish, you know, missing the cut five of the six times, no one's going to really care. That's not me being mean. That's me being a realist. And I think Block knows this as well. It's a great story. They may make, they make, would they make a movie of it? I've seen this. Oh, they're going to make a movie of this. Yeah. Really? Well, pencil out the story arc for me, will you? Like what, 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 what's the story? I, you know, it's a great finish. The hole in one was great. It was great that Netflix's full swing two documentary crew was on site all week and they quickly sent some assets over to block and his caddy for the week because he was playing so well. So we're going to likely get some great footage out of that next winter. But, you know, I don't know if it's going to change his life. For those that don't really know golf, I'll try to explain it this way. Michael Block finishing as well as he did would be like, let's say, a crew chief for Dale Earnhardt Jr. Hopping in the car for one race as a crew chief, you know, a guy that knows how to set the car up, how to fix the car, how to tune the car, how to coach up the driver. Like you need, you're going too hard in the turns, ease up, whatever. For him to get in and drive the car as a teaching pro, as a guy who not only teaches, but opens up the shop at uh, Arroyo Trabuco Golf Club in Mission Viejo, California, who sets the tee sheets, who runs the member guest, who washes range balls at times, does everything, these club pros. I mean, it's not a glamorous job. This is why for those who are in golf, who, who, who play golf and who know the Twitter account of Club Pro Guy, it's why it's so funny because it's a fictitious character, a guy who's a club pro who thinks he's hot shit because he once played on the mythical Mexican mini tour which doesn't exist, and, you know, made a few cuts down there. (laughs) At Club Pro Guy, follow him on Twitter. It's very funny, but you got to know a little bit about about golf to to really get it. (laughs) Club Pro Guy here, coming to you from the Learning Center. Club Pro Guy here, coming to you live from the Learning Center. Oh, yeah, hold on a second. Well, you know what? God darn it. Why does it do this to me? Okay, I know. I'm going to take a little interlude here for you to yell at me for that mistake in the podcast tonight. It's 11.45 p.m. I drove seven hours back from Pinehurst. Actually, your buddy Bob drove. Yeah, he did. I'm tired. I'm sad because my beloved golf trip is over. It won't happen again for a whole other year. If I'm even here, knock on wood, I take nothing for granted to see it. And I'm here doing this podcast with a voice that's not quite great. So, yeah, suck it. Club Pro Guy. Hey, everybody. Club Pro Guy here coming to you live from the Learning Center. (laughs) When you think of an elite player, I'm talking about guys at the Club Pro and Tour Pro level. What do they all have in common? By the way, when he says the Club Pro and the Tour Pro level, that's intended as sarcasm. If you said turn awareness, balance, and using the ground for power, you would be correct. Yeah. So 
that's the running joke. Imagine the crew chief for Dale Earnhardt Jr. driving in a NASCAR race and finishing top 10. So it's a cool story. He seems like a cool guy, and he's going to milk this for all it's worth, including invites to other events, which he's then going to have to tell his general manager out at Arroyo Trabuco, I also can't come to work this week and open the shop and set the T-sheet and do everything else a club pro guy does because I'm going to play in a PGA Tour event. Here was the call from the director of the tournament, the Charles Schwab Cup down in Colonial. This is Michael Toth, the tournament director at Colonial. Hey, what's going on, Michael? Great week, my friend. Congratulations. Don't tell me what you're going to tell me because if you tell me, I'm going to start crying right now, man. I am going to tell you what I'm about to tell you. We would love for you to come play in our golf tournament and we have an exemption available and we'd love for you to be in Fort Worth this week. This is uh, this is even more insane, and I, I look forward to. Sounds like transferring my tickets to uh, Fort Worth, Dallas tomorrow, and uh, coming to you guys rather than Orange County. If you could uh, talk to my boss real quick um, and tell him that uh, <laughs> I I won't be at work next week. Is that okay, Matt? Yeah, it's fine. okay. Okay, good. I'm good. I'm good. Okay, no, no, he's right here. He's right here. He's got tequila in his hand, so he's good. Yeah, yeah, and a daughter TCU, so we're coming. Yeah, Uh, it's 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 awesome stuff. And then there was the hole in one. Question, my fellow golf nerds, was this the greatest televised hole in one in golf history? There have been holes in ones at majors, but oftentimes they get made earlier in the week, not on camera, by guys who finish far back in the field. I'm racking my brain trying to think of a more dramatic hole-in-one in really televised golf history. I believe Nick Faldo had an ace at the Ryder Cup back in the early 90s. But this thing was a slam dunk. This thing was epic and it happened on Sunday on 15 so it's late in the round and it was a perfect slam dunk which is amazing it barely rattled the flag stick just disappeared some did not like the fact that well they didn't have it live CBS had to roll tape and some didn't like the fact that Jim Nance essentially tipped you, the viewer, off that, hey, this just happened. Dan Rappaport of Barstool Sports said, I can't believe Nance just gave the from seconds ago and the fairy tale continues lines before the ball landed. You hear that and immediately think, Ace, what's the utility in this? asks Rappaport. It's entertainment. Let people be surprised. Small thing, but it bugs the crap out of me. Well, let's hear the call, and then I'm going to offer a theory to the likes of Rappaport and others, which may not make him feel any better, but it may perhaps make him go, okay, I guess I can see it from that point of view. Here was the call. At the 15th. Fairy tale story. Gets better. 
Okay, so there you go. Now, I believe Nance does it this way, or maybe CBS chooses to do it this way, or maybe you could argue this is the way it should be done because to do it while pretending you don't know what happened would be a lie. And Jim Nance may say, it is my sworn oath as a broadcaster to not lie, to not fake you out. Because if I'm going to sit there and pretend to fake react like, oh my God, he hold it out. Then people would wonder what else are you showing on tape delay that you're reacting to, that your reaction is not genuine or that you are you are you are participating in a falsehood. That is probably what Nance would say, that he does not want to do that, would never do that, that it's unfortunate that you can't televise every live thing that happens on a golf course in a major that has a billion people watching and, a, and, a, and hundreds of guys out there on the golf course. And so that's why he did it that way. I don't really have that much of a problem with it. Word travels fast, right? People are watching stuff all over on internet streams and message boards and whatnot. So how many minutes was it between the ace and going to the ace? I don't know. That said, let's move on to the actual winner, shall we? Bruce Kepka, a.k.a. Brooks Kepka. My buddy Cowboy Mike calls him Bruce Kepka. He's never liked him. I have felt over the years that he doesn't really love golf. He just loves the fact that he's really, really good at it that he was a failed baseball player at Florida State and then turned to golf. But he put his time in. I I do believe he's got to love the game to a certain degree, but he's not a nerd about it. In fact, I've crafted that persona of Kepka like the pro that goes and knocks guys' bags over on the range. Like, (laughs) looks like your bag fell down, loser. He now has, I think... Five major championships compared to just three regular PGA Tour events, which is a profile that is hard to even imagine. But it just shows you that he's a big game hunter. He is a big course, big event, hardest course, watch this type of player. And that's pretty awesome if you think about it. Some would say, well, I don't know. He's a pro playing for money week in, week out. Why wouldn't he try as hard during the regular events? Eh, I don't know. I'd have to see his prep on a regular tour week. It's not like he sucked on the regular tour before he jumped to the live tour. He just didn't win a whole lot and then break through at majors. This was a big, brawny golf course that was very tough. And the conditions on Saturday in the rain were brutal. And he said, watch this. Think about how the year began for Kepka, with him on Netflix saying, I can't beat these guys. It was because he was injured. And I think there was some reference to a knee injury that was not fully healed. But you never exactly know with golfers. They don't, you know, first of all, they don't put an injury report out on players. And then a lot of times players won't even tell you what's going on because they feel like it'll just be an excuse. But golf is a sport, yes, that requires strength, speed, fitness, timing, 
dexterity, touch, imagination, all these things. And it's not like football where you can kind of power through much worse injuries and just go, I'll I'll figure it out. If one little tendon in your wrist or hand or elbow is flaring up, or if you have a little bit less flexibility in any of your joints, it it will totally derail a top-level professional. So clearly Kepka was hurt, but to think he began the year with us in the winter watching the Netflix series and seeing him moan at home on the couch with his wife, now soon-to-be mother of his child, mazel mazel, good things, saying, I can't. I can't beat these guys. This sucks. I suck. Now he's got major number five and he almost won the Masters in April. Could have been working on the Kepka slam. And uh, people are going to like him at the US Open. They're going to like him at the British Open as well. Will they like him at the Ryder Cup? Will he be on the Ryder Cup team? Well, it'd be insane absent all the other drama involving Liv versus the PGA Tour, it'd be insane to leave him off the team. And Dustin Johnson. Clearly, if you're trying to just win this thing, you'd put him on the team. But there's that issue of the PGA of America, which runs it, versus the Live Tour and what it's done to disrupt professional golf. And they're still not over it. If 2024 is the year you're jetting off to a new country, or even just want to expand your language skills beyond English, then I urge you to check out Rosetta Stone today. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program for over 30 years. Why? Because it works. Instead of drilling vocabulary words, with Rosetta Stone you learn by matching audio, from native speakers to visuals, reading stories, participating in dialogues, and other practical language skills that fast-track your ability to communicate fluently. Not only is it a more effective way to learn, it's more fun. Rosetta Stone's advanced voice recognition technology gives you feedback on how well you pronounce words. Other language learning apps use speech recognition to detect what you said. Rosetta Stone tells you how well you said it. Rosetta Stone offers 25 languages with lessons available on your computer, phone, or tablet. And with a lifetime membership, you get forever access to all the lessons for all the languages and never pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, ZabeCast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. You know, we're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't help you just hire faster. 93% of employers agree. Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. This according to a recent Indeed survey. 
Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Zabe. Just go to Indeed.com slash Zabe right now and support the show by saying you heard about it right here on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Zabe. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Then there's Brandel Chambly on the Golf Channel talking to Brad Faxon about, well, what what are we talking about here? Why is this even an issue now? Of course, I think Faxon's stance is, look, they're playing golf and they're going to play for their country. They should probably be on the team. Brandel Chambly, who has been so steadfast, anti-live, with the point being it's a Saudi-backed venture and for the misdeeds of the Saudi government, not to mention 9-11 and the hijackers and everything else, um, it created a very awkward moment. I'll let you listen. The PGA of America runs the Ryder Cup. I don't think this has anything to do with... They're not playing for money at the Ryder Cup, Brandel. They're playing for their country. He's an American. They're playing for their country. They're 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 not playing for their tour. They're just playing for their country. There's certainly a sense that the Europeans are playing for their, their tour. You're right. yeah, I think you're right. You make a reasonable point. They're not playing for their, their tour. They're just playing for their country. Well, they're playing golf. <laughs> <laughs> we stand off here. No, I, I mean, honestly, I, I, it's a hard decision for me. I, I, I don't know that there's a right answer to this, but I, I know that Kepka he's second on the points list right now. He's only played in two... Two events on the PGA Tour. Yeah, second and first will move you right out yeah, of I'm the Ryder Cup here. Sure will. Yeah. I don't know if he's really second in points uh, this year. I know that he is moving up a lot, but I, I'd have to check that number on Faxon. Got to be interesting that the PGA Tour and the PGA of America have kind of kicked the can down the road a bit on this whole thing with Liv. They could have said a long time ago, they're dead to us. Everyone who left, forget about it. You're never coming back to the tour. You're not going to be in any of our events. You can't play on our reindeer games. I don't care how good you are. We'll leave you off. If the PGA of America had said that a while ago, this wouldn't be a debate. Now you've got Zach Johnson, the American captain, saying, well, it's a little bit early to be talking about who's going to be on the team. Oh, is it? (laughs) Is it too early to say, shit, maybe if we want to win this thing, we should put Kepka on the team? Europeans will likely be hurt worse with the guys they're going to leave off. But, you know, it's an exhibition. At the end of the day, if it was me, I'd keep them off the team. I would hold to your principles and go, look, this is war. This new tour has declared war on us, and we're going to play it as if it's war. You went to the other league. You're getting their money. Good for you. You're dead to us. We're moving on. Now on to the Packers. Hosting the 2025 NFL Draft. Well, shut my mouth. I said there was no way they would do it because there's not enough infrastructure. There's not a ton of hotel rooms in and around Green Bay, Wisconsin. Even if you go further south to Appleton, lovely Appleton, Wisconsin, still not enough hotel rooms to really swallow up what will likely be a huge horde of people who make a late April, early May pilgrimage to the uh, hallowed frozen tundra. So is it going to work? 
or is it going to be a disaster? Is it going to work or is it going to be lame? Is it going to be great or is it going to be, eh, we probably shouldn't have done this? I'm here to tell you it's going to work for one simple reason. It's a TV show. And the unpaid extras who serve as interesting backdrops for this TV show known as the NFL Draft, the collegiate choose them up the fans who dress up and paint their face and go gaga over every pick, they're still going to come. They're still going to come. They're going to find a hotel. They're going to sleep in a house. They're going to sleep in their camper. They're going to sleep who knows where or not sleep at all. And they're going to come and they're going to fa- they're going to paint their faces. They're going to wear their jerseys. They're going to cheer picks that they don't even know who they are for one simple reason. This is a big TV show now, the draft. And we as a society are an event society. Some people say, well, that's an event town. You know, insert town here or city. You know, LA is an event city or something like that. We've become an event society. I've noticed that people just come to big events for one reason, to say they were at the big event. And more importantly, to gather digital proof, hashtag assets, that they were at the event. And then they go back home and then they tell all their friends how they were at this big event, the NFL draft, and how amazing it was. Because you never hear anyone come back from a big event in today's modern digital asset, social media society and go, eh, wasn't that great? Nobody's going to say that, not out loud, because it would make them look foolish. They would say, God, yeah, we, we spent an insane amount of money. In fact, we stayed at a Motel 6 that was somewhere outside of De Pere, and we paid $842 a night. What a waste of time. And then the weather. You know, Green Bay in late April, early May, it's still not very good. There's no leaves on the trees yet at that time. I think this past year for the Saturday of that draft, it was 46 with heavy rain. (laughs) Imagine standing out in that with your team colors, cheering on and being a part of, ooh, it's the third through seventh rounds. It doesn't matter though, because they will come. It's a big event. You need the digital assets. You're going to tell your friends how amazing it was. You're going to post to all your social media and it's going to be wash, rinse, repeat. That's what sports society is now for better or worse. It is what it is. And there's enough bougie stuff that's been built in and around Lambeau field and the title town district to accommodate the elites. There's enough nice enough, fancy enough things to accommodate the most important people, which is owners, their VIPs, advertising, network VIPs, ESPN, NFL Network, there's enough for them. There is the very small but quite luxurious Kohler Lodge outside of Titletown. There's a couple of very nice upscale breweries and places to eat. They're building more stuff as we speak. And the rest of Green Bay is a working town. You know, it's a blue-collar, working town full of great people who gather on Sundays to worship the Green Bay Packers. Having been there for a full year now, 
or having gone to games, let me put it this way, having gone to all eight home games plus two postseason games, they didn't turn out very well in recent history with the Packers for the first time in my life, I've grown a real affinity for Green Bay and I've grown sort of a sense of, okay, I, I, I know my way around here. I know what's the, this is here, that's there. And I really like going to the games now, which I didn't think I would. I'm a TV guy for the most part. I'm looking forward to this upcoming season. It's going to be fun as hell. It's going to be kind of crazy because Jordan Love's going to make a lot of mistakes as a first-year starter. But as I thought about this, who ca- the NFL doesn't care that the average person's not going to find a good place to sleep for under a gajillion dollars. They're still going to come one way or the other. They don't need that many either. They just need enough to pack the atrium and make it look good. And for all the, you know, the proposal, I'm sure that the, that the Packers sent to the league said, look, we have enough bougie infrastructure, just enough to accommodate the elites. And that's really all you care about. So let's do this thing because remember we're filming a TV show. There's a funny clip that Aaron Nagler posted from Cheesehead TV about Drake, rapper Drake, saying this is what Packer fans are going to say once everyone comes to town in a couple of years. Look around, look around you. Look at this. We created this. This didn't exist before we were- Yeah, look at this. Look at this hotel. This didn't exist. Look around you, man. Look around, look around you. Look at this. We created this. This didn't exist before we were- hmm. League owners meetings are going on right now. It feels like everything is converging in the sports world to get everything done before Memorial Day weekend, and that's fine. The commander sale is not done yet. They're not ready to vote on it. It could take several more weeks. That's going to push deeper into the summer. It's going to flip the keys, we presume, to the Josh Harris ownership group at the last minute. It's not going to be helpful for the team. It's not fair to the fans of the Commanders. Guess what? The league does not fucking care. Here was Jara speaking to the media after their owners' meetings in day one on Monday. Well, I would uh, anticipate it uh, being done. Is there a timeline at all? No, I, I don't have one, but uh, and there is none that I'm aware of. But uh, I, I would have. I don't want to simplify a lot of people's a lot of work, but these are. Uh, outstandingly qualified owners and uh, uh, not just uh, there are a handful of qualified owners here but certainly the significant ones we read about are very qualified and uh, that always rules the day on getting it uh, uh, ruled and and cleared with the NFL I still think the chance is this sale getting completely scuttled and starting over are less than 1% but they're greater than 0%. So that is enough to make you, if you're a Commander fan, just ready to get rid of Dan Snyder once and for all, feel a bit nervous. But Jerry Jones would love for it to linger even longer. Just another year of the Commanders being crippled in his own division. So he doesn't give a shit. And the league, I'm sure, has all these different financial machinations that they want to execute to set precedence for future sales of franchises so that it maximizes the value to the other 31 owners. So they can make the Harris group be really airtight in their bid when it's all said and done. 
which finally brings me to a week in Pinehurst. What a great week it was. 16 hail fellows, well met, modestly lubricated with bourbon, IPAs, and other adult beverages. And the few who are non-drinkers, which is great. Men from all walks of life. Men of every golfing ability, at least up to at least, I think our highest handicap was a 14 or a 15. I know. Probably saying, wow, you run with a fast crowd there. Well, we want guys who golf. We want guys who play a lot of golf. We played, we stayed at Pine Needles in a place called the Wedge Lodge. There's several lodges, a bunch of lodges around this resort. And we had a great time. It's a, it's a perfect golf trip place that I'm afraid is going to get too popular and too expensive for my group to really be able to handle. I'll still pay the money. I think it's one of the best places on earth outside of Pinehurst Resort proper, which is already too fucking expensive because they've hosted U.S. Opens. Pine Needles has hosted Women's Opens, so they're pricey, but they're still within reach of not being knee-buckling. So we played Pine Needles 36 holes on Saturday. We went to Mid Pines across the street, which is also owned by this same resort group. And I got to be honest, I used to love Mid Pines. I think I'm ready to drop it from the Rota. It's just, it's just not shined up as neatly or as nicely as Pine Needles is in terms of conditions and everything else. And it's hard as shit too. It's, it's got these tiny ass old Donald Ross greens. You're like, okay, this is a totally unfair green. What, what are we even doing here? And then we went back to Pine Needles uh, today, actually this morning, to finish up 18 holes, 36, 36, 18. Now, you would think, right, that if you play golf casually and you don't get a lot of time because of your work and you're going to play one, two, three, four, five rounds in a row, uh, one would think that you'd get better as the rounds went on because you've got more practice. Oh, I'm finally playing now. I know how to hit it. Hit it here. Hit this putt. I got this chip. Everything is good. You would think, but you'd be wrong. I don't think anyone was playing better by the fifth round than the first round because two things. One, fatigue, obviously. (laughs) We're not specimens of elite athletic performance at this point in our lives. Fatigue is real. Being old is real. Being out of shape is real. And mental fatigue is also real. That's a lot of golf. But the other reason that you don't get better, at least as I thought about this on the long car ride home, it's the fact that what happens is when you're playing in a guy's golf trip, which has a format for a little bit of money where you keep score, right? You get nervous. It's an actual tournament. So you're trying hard. And when you try hard and you stand over a golf ball some 500 times, give or take, over the course of a long weekend, you get what I call an accumulation of phobias that go through your head every time you lay the club behind the ball. An accumulation of phobias, both real and imagined. Real phobia is like, oh, I know I, I'm, I feel like I'm going to slice this one again. Please don't slice. Please don't slice. Please don't slice. Ah, God. 
And then there are imagined phobias, such as, you know, I haven't topped one today, but Bill did on the second hole, and shit, I could do that too. I don't want to do that either. Okay, stop thinking negatively. Focus. Hit it good. You know how to hit it good. I would have to take a golf trip in which I play five rounds in a row, and I'm not counting any scores. Or, I mean, I'm counting scores, but it's a friendly thing. You're just keeping your own score, having fun, doesn't matter, no money, no scoreboards, none of that. Would I get better on a golf trip like that? Maybe, but probably not. Anyhow, it was great. Our winner, Jeff Brandt, a.k.a. JB, a.k.a. Mr. Puddle Up. Uh, He won the Calcutta, the championship, so the Malcolm is his for the year, and uh, he deserved it. He made a gazillion feet of putts. He made, I'm not kidding, I think four 30-footers en route to winning on Monday. A rare Monday finish, which I know took me out of the running for yesterday where there's a lot to talk about, and I finally got it all in, and oh my God, look at the time. 45 minutes of me prattling on like this, and... It's now 12.15, past midnight. I better go to bed. I'm going to wake up quick after sleeping fast and do my regular show again on 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And we're going to talk about the NFL Draft coming to Green Bay and a bunch of other stuff as well. So let me get to bed. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being patient with me. Have a great Tuesday, everybody, and we will see you next time. Of the dance floor, sexy and real hey. Saying she been peeping and I dig the last video Somewhere never we could go How could I tell her no? Measurements was 36, 25, 34